Way, man. Let's give applause for our Lord Jesus. So wonderful to hear you sing. If you'll turn your Bibles over to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, man, if, you're, if it's your first time here at Springboro Baptist Church, I want to welcome you. And uh, those who are watching online, if you're checking us out for the first time, we're glad you're here. And uh, I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham, and I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. And um, we um, are ex- excited about tonight. If you've ever been to a candlelight service, it's um, man, a wonderful time to come together. Wonderful time to invite somebody um, out for the first time if you hadn't had a chance. And a great way to make some memories with, uh, with your family. Well, in honor of God's word, if we all stand up together, as we read Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 5. And it reads, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something, uh, as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on, on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Christ came dwelt among us, lived like us, ate like us. And, and, and Father, that we have a Savior that identifies with us. And we pray during this Christmas season, as we honor the name of Christ, as we remember the birth, as we remember the reason for the birth, that you came, not just to be born, but you were born to die, to take our place on the cross, to take our punishment, to take our shame. And anyone who will repent of their sins, but their faith and trust in Christ, can know you, can have a relationship with you. And we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's amazing that an event that happened 2,000 plus years ago still causes traffic jams today. It really is. Yesterday, the family and I, we met um, uh, some of my nieces and nephews and my brother and some of my sister-in-laws. We went to the Cincinnati Zoo for the Festival of Lights. It was great. It was good. I always enjoy going to the Festival of Lights. Been many different times. And it was so crowded, so crowded. And I thought, man, at the end of the day, some people may be here because you know, they want to make memories with their families. Wonderful. Some are here because um, it's Christmas time and it's a tradition. Some are here because, um, man, they really do want to honor Christ. Not that you have to go to the Festival of Lights and the zoo to honor Christ, all right? But as we drove back off 71, I looked to my right and there's Kings Island. And you know how if you've lived here a while, and I've, you know, I grew up around here, even though I haven't always lived here in the last 20 years, when you look at the parking lot of Kings Island, you can go, oh, I'm glad I'm not there today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yesterday was one of those days. 
I drove by and I'm like, every, I could not see an open parking spot. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not there today. I'm glad we went to the zoo. And so an event that happened, and many don't always realize or even know the true Christmas story. They may miss about what is so special about Christmas, and Christmas is special. And you may wonder, well, what's so really special about Christmas? For some, it's going to be tradition. For some, it may be Santa Claus, right? Uh, for some, it's um, just they love the presents. Whatever it may be for you, ultimately, as a believer in Christ, what's so special about Christmas? Well, Philippians here, Philippians answers the reason Christmas is so special. I think it really does answer it. And the explanation in the Bible is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. Not a God, not part of a God. He is God. And it's the bedrock of what we believe. You see, here's the relevance of Christmas God came to earth, He came. In fact, What we just read here in Philippians chapter 5 through 6 is your attitude. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God, God. And Jesus is God. God invaded earth, and that's the relevance of Christmas. Some would say Jesus was just a great man, that he um, was just a great prophet. Here's the problem with that. Jesus never showed up to go, you know what? I'm here and I'm a great prophet. That's not what he claimed. He claimed to be God. Now, every now and then, someone will ask, well, hey, you know, where in the Bible does it talk about Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God? Have you read the New Testament? It's all over the place. I mean, Jesus, just, just go read John 10. It says that, he said, I and my Father are one. And it says... Again, the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders took up stones again to stone him. He's like, why are you going to stone me? And they're like, well, for a good work, we're not going to stone you. But for blasphemy, in other words, making yourself equal with God um, and, and even accepting worship as God, which is another matter which we do see in the New Testament, <clears throat> is a claim to be God. He made no mistake about it. He was God. God in the flesh and he knew it. So he didn't claim to be a great prophet. He made it simple. I am God, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus, he did not start. He did not start in the, in the stable. He existed before creation. He's always been. He always has been. And as Christians, we believe in one God manifests himself in three persons. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we do not believe that God the Father is the Son or the Spirit, or that God the Son is the Spirit or the Father, or that the Spirit is the Son and the Father. They're separate, but yet they're one. And let me tell you something, when it comes to the Trinity, and you dive into the Trinity, you realize, you know what? I'm having a hard time understanding all of this. And if you could understand the Trinity, you would have a God that truly wasn't God. His ways are above our ways. 
His knowledge is far above our knowledge. And the dimension in which we live in and what he is in is far above us. So we can't understand it on this side of heaven. But one day, one day we will. One day we'll know. You see, the fact that Jesus existed before creation, he existed before uh, he was born there in Bethlehem. Theologians call this the preeminence of Christ. You see, God came to earth. The reality of Christmas is that is this, is that God became a man. This is even more difficult to understand. If you were God and you were going to come to earth, I don't think any of us would choose, you know what, I'd like to be born as a baby. But he did. He knew, he knew we needed a savior. He knew we needed forgiveness. He knew that it had to be the perfect sacrifice to redeem us so we could be forgiven. That's what it says in verse 7 and 8. Rather, he made himself of nothing by taking the very nature of a servant or a slave, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. Jesus was 100% man and yet 100% God. He said, that doesn't go together. You're right. I don't quite understand it either. But God came, he was born like us, he grew like us. Now why would God do such a thing? You see, if God wanted to communicate with dogs, he would have became a dog. If he wanted to communicate with birds, he would have became a bird. But he wanted to communicate with us. And so he became like one of us. We may not have chosen to, if we were God to come down as a baby. But he did. And he is God. And he knows far better than what we know. I wonder how the angels looked at God when he said, I'm leaving. I'm going to dwell with them. I'm going to walk among them. I'm going to smell like them. I'm going to eat like them. I'm going to be with them. I just wonder how the angels looked at one another in disbelief of going, what is God thinking? Now, I don't think they said that, but I, if I was an angel, I would have. Like, why would you want to go down there? Why would you, do you, do you, God, don't you see these people? It don't, God, don't you remember how you destroyed the earth with a flood and you saved Noah and his family because they were so wicked and the things they did? And God's like, yeah, I know. And he came to be like us. How is Jesus like us? Well, as I just said, he was born like us. Just like billions and billions of other people, he became a, a fragile uh, infant, blowing the mind of the angels. What is God doing? You see, he grew like us. In fact, Luke 52 says, 252 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew. He developed. He had growth spurts. And can you imagine what it would have been like to go to school with Jesus? I can tell a couple of you, you know, you, you copied every now and then from the person next to you. you. You know, imagine Jesus being that one. Jesus kind of look over at you like, really? Don't. Yeah. He was tempted like us. Book of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He knows. 
He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows. Some of you wonder if God really still loves you because maybe there's some times in your life you've given into temptation and you've asked for forgiveness. And I want you to know, God, he does love you. It doesn't mean that he approves of your sin, but it does mean that he loves you despite your sin. And that as a loving father, he wants to veer you and correct you as a loving father would to do what is right. And as Christians, we can confess our sin, and we should. We should confess our sin every day to the Lord. Not for the sake of salvation again and again and again, but for the sake of relationship. God already knows what we think, say, and do. He knows all, everything about us, and he loves us. It doesn't mean he accepts everything, but he does love us. And he's patient, he's loving, and he's kind. And, and so he, he knows, he knows. And so you see, he suffered like us. He felt pain, disappointment. He, he grieved. And we see Jesus even weeping in Scripture. He was tired, he was fatigued. And we see throughout Scripture that Jesus took naps. And so when you take your Sunday morning nap, Gentlemen, your wife says, hey, you need to take out the trash. Tell them you're doing something spiritual as you're laying, watching football, taking a nap. Or no, you're watching the game just with your eyes closed. That's what you're, that's what you're doing. Spiritual to take naps. But you see, he can relate to your pain, your problems, and your pressures. It's interesting that Jesus often... Jesus, he, he would go away by himself at times. He would pray. It seems like his long prayers were by himself, just between him and the Father. His short prayers were oftentimes when others were around him. And so I, I think if you had to put Jesus, if you had to label Jesus an introvert or extrovert, I think the answer is probably yes. I think he was all of those. But he definitely had to get away to recharge. So you introverts, you know, you, get, you need to get away from, you like people maybe, maybe a couple of you like, like people. And, and, uh, but you need your time to recharge by yourself. Jesus often did the same thing. But he also made sure he was around people so he could minister. See, the reason for Christmas is that Jesus, he came to die. That was why he came. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus didn't stay in the crib in the manger. He went to the cross, voluntarily laid down his life for us. Why? He didn't have to. He was God. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and get him down off the cross. He laid his life down for us. It was not taken from him. It was laid down for us. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he gave his life for us. Nobody put him there without his permission. Why did he go to the cross? The Bible says there's two reasons Christ went to the cross. One, to demonstrate his love for us. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God, God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Some of you, maybe right now, you feel like such a sinner that you think you, you, maybe you've told people this. Maybe, maybe you told somebody this today. Like, I'm going to go to church this morning. And you're like, I hope the, hope the ceiling doesn't fall down on me. 
Many people have said that. What you're really saying is, I know my sin. I know God's not happy with my sin. I know I'm guilty of my sin. And you realize, you realize you need help. You see, what you need is a Savior. You need a Savior. There's some, maybe right now, you're, you're maybe even angry with God. Maybe you don't understand some of the things going on in your life. But God knows. And Scripture promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And some things, bad things do happen to us, because, and we've done nothing wrong. And sometimes God is, uh, sometimes we have bad things happen to us because, um, well, out of our disobedience, out of our, well, our stupidity, and it happens to all of us. And God still shows grace, he still shows love, and he's there waiting. And he, it's interesting, when you go read Proverbs 6, you know, it mentions the things that God hates. I know God is love. He, he is. But to think that God is all love and no judgment is not the God of the Bible. In fact, to say God is all love and there's nothing that he hates is not the God of the Bible. There's some things he hates. There really is. I mean, go, go read it when you get a chance. Proverbs um, chapter 6. And, and there's some things he, he, does, he does not like. He hates. But why would God hate he knows, he knows what sin can do. He has seen how much it, has, it can dominate somebody and how much it can ruin someone's life. And so in God's capacity to love, there's also a capacity to hate because of how much he loves us. Think about that. And so there, there's some things he, he hates. There's some things he doesn't want in our lives. And so much that he hates sin so much he was willing to come and dwelt among us to be like us, to take the torture on the cross for us. The second reason is this, is to pay, is to pay for our sins. See, when you break the law, you've got to pay the penalty. When you break man's laws, you pay man's penalties. When you break God's laws, you pay God's penalties. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. First Peter tells us this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. And maybe, just maybe, you've been trying a lot of other things to try to heal your soul. Maybe, maybe each and every night to bring some comfort. Maybe you're drinking every night. Maybe you're trying some other drug every night. Good or bad, I don't know. And maybe for you, you're running to pornography or you're running to something else or you're running to food and you're overeating and you know like that's not God honoring there's things in your life you know going on there's some wounds in your heart and your soul and you're wondering what to do Christ came to heal us he came to help us he knows our struggles he knows there's a battle between the things of God the Holy Spirit in our lives and the flesh he knows 
you know, I've seen this cartoon before. It's more of a something you'd see on social media. It got me thinking, like, how many people believe this? So I wanted to mention this in this point. And it has kind of a classic Jesus of knocking on the door of let me in and come and save you. And, the, and it's kind of mocking Jesus, really, is what it is. And then the next picture is let me come in and save you so I, you won't go to a place called hell or a place of everlasting torment that I created for you if you reject me. Like, ooh, there's some problems with that. One, it's a lack of understanding of what truly the gospel is. It's a lack of understanding of why Jesus truly came. That God, when he made all the earth, he looked at all of it and he called it good. He called it good. Adam and Eve created sinless, perfect, and yet they sinned. And every, every disease and nastiness that will ever happen coming through Adam and Eve and their sin started. God did not make them do it. So, but God surely knew they were going to do it. Well, sure, he's God. But God gave us something beautiful in his sovereignty. He gave us free will. See, God did not create us to make us worship him. Or is that truly worship? It's not. God gave us the option to worship, to serve, to follow him. And out of punishment, if you read scripture, God created this place called hell for Satan and his fallen angels. That's why it was created. They are not there currently. That is their future home. They're not there. There's many different false views, unfortunately, about the afterlife. They're just basic, but from the idea that we become an angel when we die to that Satan's down there right now just waiting for those to come to hell to torture. And though hell's an awful place and a place of torture, he's roaming to and fro and about. And Bible scripture warns about watching out for Satan and his ways. And God created all that for Satan and his demons, his fallen angels. And those who do reject, God's not going to make you go to heaven. And in fact, why would a loving God, if you've rejected Christ down here, if you've lived and rejected the gospel, you rejected Christ, you rejected his church, his bride, you rejected all things about God, why would a loving God make you go to heaven? You see, you can flip it. You can flip it around. And Scripture's clear. There is a place called heaven. There is a place called hell. And God believes in heaven. And he believes in hell so much. That he became flesh. Dwelt among us. And willingly died for us. Taking our place on the cross. And yet some will try to turn it around on God. So he came. He came for two reasons. He came to demonstrate God's love and to pay for our sins. And, um, and, and so he carried it, that 
our wounds might be healed. Whatever wounds you have today, God knows about one, and you can bring to him. You can bring it to him, and he will heal it. Does healing take time? Absolutely. Absolutely. And is there, is there things in our life that's going to take some time? There's some things we could be healed from quickly? Absolutely. Will he forgive quickly? Yes, he will. See, that's the reason for Christmas, to help you heal by coming to Jesus, by coming to the cross. Are you tired? Maybe you're here or you're watching or you're listening, and you're just tired. You've tried everything else. You've, you've tried the different relationships with your different girlfriends or, or boyfriends, or, or you know, maybe you've had a couple different wives or husbands, and, so, and you're just tired. You're like, what? I, I have not found what I'm looking quite for yet. I want you to know you can find it in Christ. People will disappoint you. There will be people who will let you down in life. Life's not always fair. You probably had some unfair things happen to you. But I want you to know, a Savior has been born, that our souls and our hearts can be healed, and that we can know that there's a place for us in heaven through the gospel. You see, there are many people, though, that they hang on to the idea that they can save themselves. That I'll just clean up myself enough, or I'll, I'll, I'll go to you know, church here and there, and that will just make me right with God. While going to church is good, while uh, reading your Bible is good, and, and, and even giving you know, to the poor and helping different people is good, at the end of the day, that's not what's going to get you in to heaven. In fact, you're, you still have this idea in your mind that you can save yourself, that you can figure it out. What you really need to do is realize you don't have it figured out. You need to humble yourself and come to the cross. See, a lifeguard is taught when they swim out to a person who is drowning, usually you will not grab them right away. You tread water and you wait. They are panicked. If you grab them immediately, they most likely will grab you and pull you under as well. You've got to wait until they're exhausted. When they've given up, you can then help them back to shore. As long as a person is trying to save themselves, you cannot save them. And how many people have the mindset, I'll save myself. I'll make sure I'm clean enough. I'll make sure I'm good enough. When the cross says, come as you are, God will do the rest. He'll clean you up. He'll take care of it. And so many, how many are going to miss heaven? Because they know the gospel, they know about Jesus, but they've never humbled and accepted Christ because they are still trying to save themselves. If I can just be, you know, if I can just be good enough, if I can just do this or I'll do that, and they're missing the point that as Christians we do good works because we are saved. We do good works out of love instead of trying to do good works that try to earn our salvation. You see, the result of Christmas is this. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Notice verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. 
The cross was not the end. He rose from the grave. That's what Easter is all about. He is alive. And the result is this, is that the Bible says all through Scripture that those who humble themselves will be lifted up. And those who lift themselves up with pride will be humbled. And Jesus is a clear demonstration of that. The first time he came, he came meek as a lamb, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He came and there was no fanfare. No fanfare until the angels went and told the shepherds, hey, come, the Savior has been born. And they came. And they saw him, and they marveled. The wise men eventually came later on, and they worshipped him, and they brought gifts to him. And what an awesome thing that when he comes again, it will not be meek as a lamb. It will come as bold as a lion, and everyone will know. And he promised to come again. He is coming again. He's been given a new name. The name Jesus, in fact, really, in Quran Greek, they would have called him Yeshua or Yeshua. And we call him Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But in his day, it would have been a normal name. It would have been just as we have a Jim or a John. It would have been a normal name. And Jesus... The name itself means salvation is of the Lord. And the Greek word is Joshua. And that is why they had to distinguish which Jesus they were talking about. And that's why they would say, this is Jesus of Nazareth? That's why they would say such a thing. Or else they would just say Jesus. And even when he was born, he was given many names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so Jesus is, he is Lord. And don't underestimate this meaning of Lord. You see, in Roman times, when the early church was going on, they wanted you to say, Caesar is Lord. Now, why would they want you to say Caesar is Lord? It was a test of loyalty. That if you were to say Caesar is Lord, that means you're for the Roman Empire. You were for, um, you were for Caesar. You were for the things of, uh, of the Roman Empire. And, and at that time, Caesar was treated, he was treated as a god. And they worshipped Caesar as God. So the Romans would say Caesar is Lord. And when Christians refused to say that Caesar is Lord and only that Jesus is Lord, they were put to death. They were thrown before the wild beast there in the Colosseum. And many were martyred simply because instead of saying Caesar is Lord, they would say Jesus is Lord. They wouldn't compromise. And so what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It is the knowledge that he truly is God, that he is more than just a prophet, that he was more than just a good man. He really is God. And then every now and then some will say, well, well, did Jesus even really live? Well, first off, it's a historical fact Jesus lived. There's writings even outside of scripture that are secular that point to there was a man named Jesus. Now, what you got to decide is, is the Bible truly true? Did Jesus really come? And he did, historical fact, but is he really is he really God? Is he really 
Lord? Will you acknowledge that he really is God? And so I believe that he has everything under control. And since Jesus is God, then God has everything under control. Jesus is in control. To say that he is Lord is a statement of of comfort and encouragement. And it should encourage us, knowing that Jesus is Lord, that he has everything under control. So the question is, who is Lord of your life? Not who you think is Lord, but who truly, this Christmas season, who is Lord of your life? And now, before you answer it, I just want you to really consider it, truly. When you think to yourself on how you live your life, on what is truly important to you, is Jesus Lord of your life? When you make decisions in your home, do you take in consideration what Scripture says? Um, The way you treat your spouse, do you take in consideration what Scripture says? The way you treat other people, you treat your neighbor, you treat your coworkers, the way you talk, the way you act. Is Jesus your Lord? You see, when you say Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord of my life, you're saying, you know what? My words, my actions, and what I do, I want to follow him in all those ways. And that whether I eat, drink, or whatever I do, I want to do it all to the glory of God. I want to do it all unto him. And so the question is, is he truly Lord of your life? Not how long you've been a Christian, not how long you've been going to church, or how long you've been a member here. Is he truly Lord of your life? You see, the greatest need, I believe, in American Christianity today is a need to rediscover this phrase that believers for centuries had used, that the early church used when they would say, instead of Caesar is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. You see, it may look like the other side is winning right now, but Jesus is Lord. You may think you cannot cope anymore. There's too much pressure, but Jesus is Lord. You may think your problems are too great and he can't handle them, but Jesus is Lord. Circumstances may pile up against you and people may thwart you and fight you, but Jesus is Lord. Say that phrase when you're discouraged, Jesus is Lord. When you're tired, when you're worried, when you're afraid, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you don't think you can go another mile, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're grieving, when you don't know uh, why somebody has died, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're lonely, say it at Christmas, make it the theme of your life. Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved and you can be saved today do you really do you really know him here in a moment we're getting ready to take partake in communion Normally in communion, I set aside a a time for people to confess sin. Since we're having communion at the end of the service, I want to use this time right now to do just that. That when we take communion, in fact, there's a warning in Scripture that as we remember 
the body that was broken, the precious blood that was spilt for us, the sinless, spotless blood of Christ. That's something that should not be done and taken lightly. This is the warning that it gives. It says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that is why you should examine yourself before eating the, eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that is why so many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. And as we make Jesus as Lord, that's really what a communion is a reminder about. It's a remembrance of because Jesus is Lord, I want to honor his sacrifice. Because Jesus is Lord, I know that I'm, as a human, forgetful of what he's forgiven me of and how much he loves me. Communion reminds us of that. Because Jesus is Lord, I... And I know I need to remind it of how holy God is. So let me ask, as we, we pray here in a moment, do you truly know if you were to die today, if you would go to heaven or not? You know, I was pastoring in Florence, South Carolina for seven years and have a lot of friends there still and people I love. I had a text this morning from a staff member there, two o'clock in the morning. This man normally would never text me two o'clock in the morning unless something bad had happened and wonderful man went home to be with Jesus last night he retired recently had a lot of different plans wonderful family and the Lord took him home he was in his early 60s you don't know you don't know when your time is up and you may be in your 20s, your 30s, your teens, whatever age you are, and you may think, I have forever, I, have, I can wait till I'm, I'm older, until I'm, I'm in my 70s or 80s, and I slow down, and I've kind of stopped doing what I want to do, then I'll give God the leftovers. Why not? Make Jesus your Lord today. Making Jesus your Lord today 
is against the grain of everything our culture today is teaching and screaming about. And what we need today in America are more Christians who go, Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord of my life. He's just not in name only, but he is Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow him. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care what anyone else is teaching. I'm going to care about his word and what he's shown. And I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that anyone here this morning, anyone watching, that they really will think about this question. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Do I just go around telling people, hey, I'm a Christian, but really I, just, I live just like them? I'm really no different. But when we make Jesus Lord, we look at life differently. We consider what Scripture has to say about the way we live our life and what how we act and what we do. We share our faith. We give of our time, money, and resources because you're Lord. It's one life in which you've given us. It passes quickly. And no one knows when the sand of time will run out. But while you give it to us, may you be Lord of our lives. I want to ask, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, it's time. No better time than Christmas time to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ. Will you pray with me? If that's you, pray, dear God, I'm repenting of my sins. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I'm making you my Lord and Savior. From now on, Lord, I'm going to follow you. So Pastor Lucas, I'm giving my life to Christ. Will you raise your hand high? Just show it to the Lord. Just high, and we're not going to come down to you. Just show it up high. Say, Pastor, I'm giving my life to Christ. So Pastor Lucas, I'm saved, but quite frankly, Jesus isn't Lord of my life. But today marks a day of change. I want Jesus to be in control of my life. I'm done trying to do things my own way. I'm making him Lord of my life. Not just, not just, not just in name only. I'm going to follow him. Pastor Lucas, that's me. I'm making him Lord of my life. I'm done playing games. I'm focused on him. I'm focused on Jesus. Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you love us. God, as we pray and we confess any sin before we take communion, pray that we all will confess any sin that needs to be confessed to you, that we not, will not take 
the Lord's Supper with unrepentant sin in our lives. So I'm going to give us a moment of silence here, church. moment of silence while the guitar plays and I'll end us in prayer and we'll head into our rest of our communion but let's pray at this time and confess any sin Springboro Baptist Church have led your church to confess any sin before we remember the body and the blood that was broken and spilled out for us. I pray that we have honored you in a way that is pleasing to you and honoring. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.